This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, Stephen here. Just before you hear this episode where I review Judas and the Black Messiah, which I got a screener for, uh, since recording its release date in Ireland has been postponed with a new date not confirmed yet. However, um, I just want to say keep an eye out for developments on that front because uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is well worth seeking out. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, the movie Andrew Reviews and Nightmare Wakes is streaming now on Shudder. With that out of the way, hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, 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 welcome to I Know That Face the Only podcast, which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. This is the Redux version of the show for HPM Plus subscribers, where we'll be talking about uh, non-character actor content, and uh, I believe today we are talking about two new movies in the era of COVID. Uh, Very exciting stuff. It's cool as well because they're sort of touching on topics that we've hit before on the show in different ways. Because uh, the movie I'm going to talk about stars the Keith Stanfield. And your movie that you're going to talk about is another version of a Frankenstein story being told on Shudder. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was like, where are you going with this? God, it's, at this point it's becoming very contrived. But no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Check out uh, Stephen's interview with Larry Fessenden. Yeah, about Depraved. Um, what's your movie called? It's called A Nightmare Wakes, isn't it? It's called A Nightmare Wakes, yeah. 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 Um, will we? Will I just talk about Judas first? Just because uh, I think it's uh, maybe the bigger movie. And Lakeith, obviously. We stan. We stan. Yeah, sure. Field. <laughs> you're looking at 18 months for the stolen car. Five years for impersonating a federal officer. Or you can go home. The Black Badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. I adore this movie. Set in the late 1960s, petty criminal William Bill O'Neill, played by the Keith Stanfield, is arrested in Chicago after attempting to hijack a car while posing as a federal officer. He's approached by an FBI agent, played by Jesse Plemons, star of the new Martin Scorsese movie. Can we just take a minute to acknowledge how amazing that is? A character actor leading a Martin Scorsese movie. (laughs) Not since Last Temptation. Anyway, um, basically Jesse Plemons says to Stanfield... You can go to jail or come work for us as an informant. And O'Neill is then assigned to infiltrate the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party and its leader, Fred Hampton, played by Danny Kaluuya uh, of Get Out fame. And uh, Hampton is in the process of forming a multiracial uh, rainbow coalition of other marginalized groups. And J. Edgar Hoover, played by Martin Sheen in a ghoulish fat suit, uh, sees him as a radical threat. And um, Judas and Black Messiah is basically everything you want in a movie because on one level it's informing people about a chapter of history often ignored school books like the socialist movement by marginalized people in the u.s and the systemic effort by the white people in power to stamp it out and neutralize it and you know without spoiling what happened to fred hampton was very much an effort by the powers that be to erase him and everything he stood for and i'd I'd argue the fact that a movie coming out about him in 2021 means that didn't work and that that's great so just this movie existing and highlighting this period of history and this movie 
movement is admirable and important. But, you know, a lot of the movies come out about important topics and historical figures and they uh, don't always work, you know, for a variety of reasons. And to be honest, I find a lot of them tend to end up feeling quite stiff because they have such a respect for the person they're focusing on and the true life events that, you know, the filmmakers resist kind of injecting their own style or personality or, you know, they fail to delve into grayer, complicated areas out of that sense of respect, you know? Just one second, Stephen. I'm getting a call from the producers of Green Book. Hello? (laughs) Exactly. And, uh, you know, in contrast, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah feels really alive and vibrant. And I think partly that comes down from the framing, uh, you know, choosing the story to center around this informant character because not only does the movie end up feeling getting to those kind of like Donnie Brasco the departed vibes just you know a thick air of tension running through it um of like is this guy going to be discovered but also that informant character feels like a real person or at least a, you know a complicated person like someone who is a, a victim in his own way of a system designed to see black people fail and who at times we have uh, you know great empathy for uh, but he's also, you know, this Judas figure, you know, it's it's, it's interesting because Fred Hampton in the movie, was he's very anti-capitalist. Like he, uh, he says that something about like capitalist is the way uh, they trick slaves into thinking they're not slaves. But O'Neill, the informant, like he loves cars, you know, he loves restaurants. He loves the cash perks that come with being an informant. And it, it prevents him from, you know, stepping away from the job uh, when he really could have. And, um, you know, on the pod, we've talked about, you know, characters in US movies being... A, that they can be a bit two-dimensional and it's, it's not the case here and because and you know while the movie does show Hampton giving these like electrifying speeches saying things you know like you can murder a freedom fighter but you can't murder freedom and you're just seeing like him just whipping up these crowds into a frenzy um the movie makes him a human too who doubts himself at times and is shy off stage and you see that in his blossoming romance with a uh, Black Panther member Deborah Johnson played by Dominic Fishback who people may know from The Deuce or for Project Power recently and uh, she's a real rising star and she gets her own arc in the movie which is powerful and tragic and devastating but yeah, and speaking of performances, like our man the Keith uh, gives maybe his best performance to date as O'Neill, this informant because you know at times he's very charismatic uh, other times he's desperate and a lot of the times, though, which is which is why undercover movies, I think, are so good, is that he's appearing confident on the outside, but you know he's terrified on the inside because, you know, it's in his eyes, it's in his body movement. And there's one particular scene where the Illinois Black Panther group learned that in another faction of, you know, Black Panther groups, a rat was found and tortured and killed. And he, Lakeith has to be like, I like that, you know, like, I would have killed him myself. But you, but you know he's freaked out yeah. and it's just, like, in his, like, wide eyes. But he's saying, like... I'd have killed him myself. I'd have killed him myself. Trying to like prove to the other people <laughs> that he's not a rat, even though, but he's kind of overdoing it a little bit. It's it's really good acting. Yeah. And then on the other hand, like it's another similar kind of high point for Kaluuya, who, who's an actor I've always loved. And, but who aside from Get Out, where he played the lead, I think he's often shone on the sidelines. And I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Black Panther and Widows yeah. and Sicario. But here he's given these like lengthy speeches and we are, we are meant to believe Hampton's capable of just, inspiring this like complete devotion to him and you know we do because Kaluuya is so commanding but uh, as I said before there's a lot of scenes of Hampton's internal life and Kaluuya is a lot more subtle and sensitive in these scenes but he's somehow as charismatic as when he's you know giving these like fiery speeches and 
it's it's like Denzel in um, Malcolm X, but also Kingsley Benadir, who, who's more contemplative Malcolm X in One Night in Miami recently, just rolled into one performance. It's 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 magnetic, like it's incredible. And then on top of this, you have the movies evocation of the sixties and seventies is incredible. Like the music is great, whether it's the kind of era appropriate music or the jangly paranoid score. Like at times, it almost feels like a siren going off. It's really cool. This movie has these like immersive long takes as well as this very gloomy atmosphere and deliberate lighting and you know through that and it's sort of plotting which never reveals more than you need to know at any given point and it kind of lets viewers discover stuff it doesn't spell out everything it, it feels a bit more like it belongs to those sort of older 70s American cinema like stuff like The Conversation or stuff like Sidney Lumet crime thrillers and also when the action kicks off then and it's shootouts it's it's very muscular too and it, it feels like um, you know the movie was shot by Steve McQueen's DP uh, Sean Bobbitt and it, it's got a bit of a widow's kind of energy in terms of how it looks like it's physicality and it's themes and you know I just really really loved it I think it's a movie you'd particularly dig yeah it sounds great um, do you think it has Oscar potential? Definitely. I think that Kaluuya is probably a lock for Best Supporting Actor. For a nom, maybe a win. Nice. And for those who follow us on HPM+, Plus, it, it's interesting that, um, obviously, I think this movie's a lot better than Trial of Chicago 7, but Fred Hampton is a character in uh, Trial of Chicago 7 too, so there is a little yeah. bit of a sort of uh, Black Panther cinematic universe <laughs> happening that isn't Marvel-related, uh, which is interesting. And they mentioned Bobby Seale, who's one of the main characters in Trial of Chicago 7, in... Judas and the Black Messiah. So there's an interesting sort of uh, team up there in terms of real life events. My choice this week ha- or this episode has no thematic con- connection to Judas and the Black Messiah. So I watched um, A Nightmare Wakes, which is it's not really a Frankenstein adaptation. It's more of a focus on Mary Shelley while she was writing Frankenstein. So Mary Shelley is living on the shore of Lake Geneva with the famed romantic poet Percy Shelley. After Lord Byron challenges his friends at a dinner party to write a horror story, Mary sets to work on what will become Frankenstein. Although circumstances such as a disastrous premature birth and the uncertainty of her and Percy's relationship drive her towards madness. If I cannot inspire love, I will cause fear. Claire, don't run, sister. You found me, Percy. <laughs> what do you think of my not-so-humble abode? Byron does throw the best parties. <laughs> Someone tell me a ghost story. Scare us. I wish to tremble. It's the tale of a monster. Something dead. It was so alive. I feel like it's a story. My story. Need to enter the deepest and darkest corners of your imagination. Frankenstein. I never knew you had such darkness in you. It's already there. I must simply unleash it. So I think the thing is, when you're kind of adapting or even trying to tell Mary Shelley's story, um, Frankenstein is as influential as its influences, which is a pretty rare. Um, and it means that any ad- adaptation of us or biopic of Shelley, like we had the the one with Elle Fanning, I think it was last year or two years ago. Yeah, maybe? last year or yeah, two years ago. That, yeah. You know, a lot of people didn't like that. And, um, and so it means that any adaptation of Frankenstein or a biopic of Shelley or the people around her has a lot of, has some pretty big shoes to fill. And I will say that A Nightmare Wakes is a pretty good psychological horror film with some pretty heavy caveats. 
and it treats treats its characters like uh, with a with a lot of respect, except for Lord Byron, who I think in any adaptation is pretty much the hedonism bot from Futurama. You know that golden walking table <laughs> being fed grapes, like Ooh, that dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's basically that, and that's a that's a bit that's a good bit of fun. But the problem, the also the problem is, is that Lord Byron is a total asshole throughout most of the film. Um, I think it really depends on what kind of horror you like because it's a, it's a psychological horror film but it falls more towards the psychological end of the scale than any kind of, and it never really finds its voice in terms of as a horror film it's one of those horror films that lots of people like not necessarily review bomb on Shudder but like they they give it a bad review because it's not the kind of horror film they want like there are three um, Frankenstein movies on Shudder four if you count A Nightmare Wakes uh, which I don't don't really, but uh, you have Depraved, which is directed by Larry Fessenden, who you can great movie. Yeah, you can uh, um, hear talked about more uh, on our interview with him uh, or your interview with him, even. And then you have The Curse of Frankenstein, the Hammer horror film from 1957, which I really like. And Frank Bernard Rose's Frankenstein, so the director Candyman directed uh, a Frankenstein movie in 2015, and I haven't seen it, but. I mean, it has Carrie Ann Moss and Danny Houston in it, so you can't go wrong there. And Nightmare Wakes is kind of, it's very heavy on the psychological end of the psychological horror scale. And um, I think, you know, if you if you like uncertainty and read a lot of Freud in college, you'll probably get what you want out of this. Um, well, I think it's better when it focuses on Mary Shelley rather than what she's uh, creating. Uh, it, it's better when it like shows the effect her writing is having on her um, it's like it's it, cause it shows like like the really cathartic effects um, and kind of makes them into metaphors because there's a point where Mary hallucinates herself crying black ink and when she like snaps out of it there's words on the previously blank pages which I think is pretty um, pretty subtle pretty good that, yeah. that's very evocative I like that yeah the movie's full of these kind of evocative moments and that's I think it would work in maybe a uh, kind of a biopic that's more kind of subtle than most other biopics would be because I think if you're making the biopic on Mary Shelley you kind of have to include you know the kind of nightmare nature of the genre she worked in and I think her art kind of reflects her life like Percy is essentially her Victor Frankenstein and she's the monster created by him because he's kind of a like, He's a very he's, he comes across as like quite a kind man until literally any kind of responsibility is like put upon him, and uh, she like the Victor Frankenstein she's written is played by the same guy who plays um, uh, Percy Shelley, but he's just dressed in a black coat. So I, I nicknamed him Dark Percy the moment he came up on screen. But um, <laughs> I, I think the one thing you can say about Victor Frankenstein is that for all his arrogance and grievous faults he did take responsibility for his creation whereas um, as the movie goes on Percy and Mary become more and more distant and uh, he's he just doesn't he doesn't want anything to do with her essentially and um, that said the Frankenstein's monster such that it is in this movie is just like a green version of Mary she sees either in dream sequences or in um, uh, or in the mirror when she's hallucinating and like it's not like as in green makeup and like scars everywhere, but like just she's just lit green and she has like kind of a tattered dress, which really it it it's the part of the movie that I think I don't like the most, just because I feel like whatever if they had budgetary issues or whatever, 
fair enough, but I feel like they could have, you know, just done a bit more with lighting or something like that because it's very, it feels, it's a very washed out movie, and the only uh, parts that are actually like interesting to look at in like a, a a lighting sense are the dream sequences, which are all tinged like this rotting kind of green. It's like it feels like it's drawn, it's been, it's cut from like Gore Verbinski's The Ring, and. Um, like it does, I think it, the film is like pretty clear in that the horror, the horror it's trying to depict is the horror of, of the nightmare of being a woman in the 19th century, which is fine, but it obviously doesn't have the budget to actually represent that horror as the kind of dripping, bloody, ghostly Google it deserves to be shown as. And it's not a dull or thematically weak film, but it could have made more of an effort at making its psychology actually horrifying. If you're into psychological horror, I think you'll get more out of it than I did but I think if you prefer your Frankenstein stories you know covered in blood and body parts then there are literally three other options for you on Shudder it sounds interesting though I might check it out it also sounds like I haven't watched this movie yet I'm not too careful making this comparison but it sounds a little bit like Shirley you know the the movie about Shirley Jackson that came out recently yeah I guess I guess so I mean I think Shirley is a little less focused on I think it's a little more focused on the woman, uh, or maybe just you know has a better has a, a better sense of that woman's voice. Whereas you know, yeah, um, Mary Shelley's been dead for two hundred years, uh, so it's a little harder to, or the writing on her is less recent. First hand accounts, I mean, yeah. It's cool of Shudder, the fact that because they have, like, on a, their streaming service three versions of Frankenstein, that there is this sort of different take for, you know, yeah, the se- true. sensitive yeah. Frankenstein people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, I planned on, I wanted to have talked about um, Pretend It's a City, the Martin Scorsese TV show, but I haven't completely finished it yet, so I might hit that on a, another bonus episode soon. But it's, it's fantastic, though, if uh, people just like two New York people talking about New York, check it out. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our reviews. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Email us at iknowthefacepod at gmail.com if there's somebody you'd like us to cover on the show. Follow us on Twitter at iknowthefacep1. Follow us on Instagram at iknowtheface. Follow us on Facebook at iknowthefacepod. Thanks to Shirley Fernandez for editing and for running our socials. I'm actually editing this episode, but Shirley Fernandez is just the best. Thank uh, you, Steve. In terms of all she does, we love you, Shirley. Give her a shout out. Uh, Andrew, where can people find more your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. Yeah, check out the Heads of Film section, and uh, yeah, see you later, Cinephones. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.